are worshiping online, particularly on Facebook, I want to say God bless you. Thank you for joining us, especially from distant lands. Thank you for your testimonies. Thank you for letting us know that we are able to reach you and um, the Lord is doing what he's doing in your lives. I pray that God, who is faithful, will continue to show himself strong on your behalf and on our behalf in Jesus' name. By the grace of God, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series on Prospered for Restful Increase. This will be our third session, Prospered for Restful Increase. And the first session, we looked at the topic of obedience. Obedience, being able to prosper by obedience. Everything starts with obedience. God gave his word, he gave his son, and he said, obey. Basically, if anyone comes to him, he shall be saved. So we need to obey that command to start this journey at, uh, uh, in the first instance. So we looked at obedience, and then last week we looked at the place of diligent labor. And we say that no matter who you are, you must understand that God created work, and God gave us work to do. I don't know if our banner is there today, but then our third session today is going to be on the topic of divine creativity. Divine creativity. And as you can see in the banner, we have three, those, that, that third session. This session, right up to the end of our nine-part series, will begin to introduce us to the supernatural aspects of prosperity. Now, I want you to understand this very well. Every principle that makes for diligent labor works for everyone. If you are a hard worker and you know how to apply yourself in the trade or business that you do, by natural means, you will prosper in the, co in the context of earthly prosperity. You will do well. It's guaranteed. If you know your trade, if you know your onions, as we say, you will do well. And so you don't need to be born again per se in order to be able to enjoy at least earthly wealth. Now, we all know that, uh, that that does not in itself fully connote godly prosperity. But you see, if we're talking about how to have material things that empower you to do whatever God calls you to do or to live life, you can, you can diligently apply yourself to work and to labor and get those things. But now, from this session, right through to session nine, we'll be looking at some principles that are very spiritual, very, very spiritual, reserved only for those who, by reason of uh, uh, contact with God, are able to enjoy these principles in becoming the prospered people God wants them to be. So I want you to follow me very carefully today as we look at prospered by divine creativity. We are a people who are prospered by divine creativity. Amen. And so I want to quickly say to us that creativity itself is the process, just naturally defining it, is a process of using imagination or original ideas to produce something new, to produce something of a new order or something of a variant of something that has already been existing. So if somebody comes and improves on a product, they, we, are, we call them uh, as creating the new product, which now supersedes what has been originally. So it is very important for us to understand this. It also means inventiveness. It also means inventiveness, the, the, the ability to invent something. If you look at developed world, the developed countries, as we call them, or first world, as they, are, they, they call themselves, I would say many times, the, one of their greatest assets and one of the things they push for is inventions. 
inventions. The more a country can invent, the more they stay ahead of everybody else. Every country that invents for every other person to buy stays on top. Stays on top. So inventiveness is something that the body of Christ must not joke with. We must understand this. Inventors are leaders in the physical. Inventors govern the world. Politicians don't govern the world as as much as we would like to say that and as much as they would like to say that. Politicians depend on inventors to be able to govern. Our whole world is witnessing a a situation where there is a a foul cry in one of the biggest biggest countries, the biggest economy in the world, crying that there there was manipulation, digital manipulation in the last elections, whether that is true or not. But the truth is that it is possible digitally to do some of those things now. People who invent always affect everything. Inventors. And so believers must understand. This is why when... The last time we took uh, the journey through uh, our looking at the God of increase and we're talking about how the original believers or the earlier believers of the 19th century, 18th century, 19th century and 20th century had a lot of inventors among them. The church needs to go back to that place again and begin to incite and promote the spirit of creativity and inventions in the body. If we want to be true leaders who know and connect to God, we must be trusting God. Now, invention doesn't mean that you create a new light bulb that nobody has ever seen before only. It can mean that. But it also means that even in what was there before and in what you do, God gives you creative ideas to be able to advance the business, advance the place where you are. Creativity is so important that God himself defined himself. The first name that we know of God in the Bible is him as creator. The name Elohim. Genesis 1.1. The Bible says in the beginning, God created. God created. The first thing we read about God in the Bible is that he is a creator. He is an inventor. God Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim, Yahweh, created the heavens and the earth. The word heavens there means so many things. It means the universe. It means everything that is outside the earth. Because the heaven where he lives was never created and would never be destroyed. So the writer, Moses, could only picture the universe and everything around and just say, look what, I'll just call this the heavens. So he created everything that we see and those things that we cannot even physically see. He created them all. So divine creativity that we're looking at today talks about the ability to be able to, uh, by man, to use this godly and supernatural nature of God to be creative here on earth. Divine creativity means that you go beyond the realm of the natural processes of thinking and the natural processes of manufacture. Listen, there are products and principles in life that just work as we think of natural processes. And we can put them together and make them give us another output. And we call them new inventions, which is fine. But you see, when you have a download from heaven, something that did not naturally follow the logic here on earth, you are moving into the realm of divine creativity. You are moving into the realm God himself operated from. 
In Genesis chapter 1, as we go on, verse 2 and verse 3, says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3 says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Creativity, divine creativity functions on the process of light. It, it rides on the platform of illumination. That is why when you read the word of God, the Bible will say the word that, that the entrance of the word gives light. The entrance of the word gives light. When he talks about the word, he said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Because everything about creativity, newness, advancement, progress, builds on the influence of the release of light. He said, darkness covers the earth, grows darkness the people, but you must arise and shine for what has come, your light has come. So when we are refusing to arise and shine, it's not because the light has not come. It's because we are refusing out of ignorance or out of stubbornness or out of our own wanting to remain in the natural to just be staying at the realm of the natural. We are created to be creative. In Genesis 1.27, the Bible says, So God created man in his own image. Elohim created man, the homo sapien, as we call it in biology. The, in his own image. He created him in his own image. And uh, after his likeness. And the Bible says, he created him male and female. So the emphasis on male and female is to say that there is no stopping anyone regardless of your gender. We have, we have taken some things to mean it's only for men. We have taken some things to, be, to mean it's only for women. Nothing like that. I have seen women, I have seen men who cook and cook much better than many women that I've met. What we would traditionally say is a role for a woman. I've seen women land on the moon. I've seen women go into orbit. And do things that some men could not even dare to try. They would not even move near the spaceship. <laughs> so male and female created he them. Don't stop yourself. Whether you are male, whether you are female, whether you are black, whether you are orient, whether you are white. He created you to be a creator. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. He said, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. These good works have been prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, friends, every invention you see today, no matter how new it is, is just a release of the, into the physical, something that God had already formed. There is nothing new. When God said, have dominion, he just said, go ahead and continue to walk in my blueprint. As many of you that connect to my divine ideas, as many of you that connect to my divine inspiration, you will be doing things that I would have been continuing to do by myself if I wanted to. But I now create you and I say, in, uh, I, you are now my workmanship, especially when you are created in Christ Jesus. Believers, we all like to say we are all a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And all we understand about that is that it is no more a life of sin, which is true. But Paul said we are his workmanship. As many of us who are in Christ Jesus, the next thing we should understand is that we are for good works. And these good works are things that God has prepared. 
So anytime you look like something that you want to attend to and you don't really know what to do, just ask God what he has already prepared. Ask God, say, Lord, what have you already prepared about this? How, how have you fashioned this child that I do not know how to relate to it anymore? How have you fashioned this my husband or this my wife that I do not, uh, we seem to be talking different languages now. How have you fashioned for us to connect in, in this day in 2020? Because you knew it before we were ever married. The Bible says, he had prepared it. All we need to do is to tap into him to walk in them. So this creativity, like I said to you, divine creativity is not just about making inventions. It's about living a lifestyle that is supernaturally natural. It's about using the wisdom of God, applying it in every instance, every aspect, every sphere of life. I don't believe that believers are permitted to lag behind in anything. We will not all manufacture airplanes we will not all write computer programs that will change the world. But whatever we do, we will be excellent at the level God puts us if we keep engaging with the one who has prepared everything beforehand and is saying, only walk in what I have prepared. If my sons now can travel abroad and they can go anywhere, if I've, if I've gone to any country and they're going there, for the first time, I can tell them if I've been there before, I can say, when you get there, this is what you do. When you come out of the airport, this is what you do. You may see some taxis here and all that and all that. Don't bother about that. Just go to this particular point, get this point and call this number. You will get a quicker service and so on and so forth. So when they travel and they get to that airport, they remember what the father said. And all they do is they just do everything. And they will not suffer what those who have not heard or who do not have that information are suffering. Believers who suffer what we suffer today is because we are refusing to talk to our Father. We are refusing the great grace that the Elohim God, the Creator God, has released from the foundation of the earth. That is why when I see Christians who are making strides in any way, shape, or form, in any way I can encourage and support, I put myself into it, I encourage them because that is what we ought to be doing. Job chapter 32 verse 8. He said, but there is a spirit in man. There is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Some translation says the inspiration, the inspiration, the inspired word, the revelation of the Almighty God gives him understanding. Now when the Bible talks about breath, giving understanding, I want you to understand. You see, in Genesis 1, 26, don't turn to it, the Bible says, and God created man in his own image and, uh, and, and God uh, formed man out of the dust of the earth and then he breathed into him and man became a living soul. Every human being that is alive today that breathes in and breathes out is a benefactor of that breath. That is why God said today, that man, that rich fool, that did not acknowledge God. He said, today, your soul will be demanded from you. He can take it at any time. Whoever you are. So when I see men and women who live as if they brought their own bread and they manufactured their own bread, I laugh. A man threatening another human being? <laughs> a man who God put bread inside, threatening another person? He's a fool. Because that bread can be taken at any second. <laughs> He said there is a spirit in man. That is the second degree. The first breath that we read about in Genesis 1, 26, 27. The breath in that place was given to man to become a living soul. Soul. To have an active intellect, active willpower, active breathing capability, active flesh. So that that dust does not remain like a statue. 
But you see, this one is the inspiration that goes to the spirit of man. That's why we must understand. He said there is a spirit in man, not that there is a soul in man. There is a spirit in man and the breath of the almighty that hits the spirit, that spirit of man gives him understanding. This is why we must not stop at the soulish realm in our relationship with God. Keep allowing your spirit man to be hit by the breath of the Almighty on a daily basis. It comes only by the study of the word of God. It comes only in the place of the altar, in the place of the spiritual. It's not something you get from classrooms. You don't get it from classrooms. I have been an engineer for 30 years by the grace of God. In fact, 31 years this August. Graduated civil engineering and have many other degrees after by the grace of God. And I know what I was taught in school. But I know how many things... The breath of the Almighty has helped me to achieve over the 30 years of my career so far. So I'm not talking as somebody who is just talking for the sake of it. I am a believer, ardent believer, that there is a realm that the spirit of man can be hit by the breath of the Almighty that grants him uncommon understanding. That is what this session is all about. Whatever you know, however you have learned, however you have studied, whatever you do, you heard when, when Dr. Ephraim was charging us in the power tower, that whatever you have acquired, however much you think you have studied, it can never ever match up to this breath. I'm using my own words on top of his now. It can never match up to this breath of the almighty that you need to hit your spirit man constantly. So when we say read your Bible, study your word, we are not talking about you knowing history. Many believers know history. Many believers know the Greek and the Hebrew and the Arabic <laughs> translation of the Bible. They can talk it. They can talk even their local one. They, if, you, if you call some, some people from my place and they quote Yoruba verses, which is one of my langu the languages you speak in my, my home country, Nigeria. If they quote Yoruba verses, you'll be shocked. How did you know all this? Yeah, they taught us as children. He can quote Yoruba, he can quote English, even French. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. All that one is logos. Logos. We're talking about moving into the realm of Rema. Rema, revelation. When those words no longer look like black and white on your tablet or your, or your, or your Bible, they no longer look like black and white. They suddenly seem to move and have life. That's the only words I can use to describe it. Then they jump into your spirit, man. Jeremiah said, I found them, I ate them. They became a rejoicing of my inner being, my soul. That is no longer the logos. That is no longer the history of the world. When you read David and Goliath, you say, ah, David and Goliath, wow. One giant just took stone, hit him down. <laughs> it's a wonderful story. Is that all? <laughs> That's all. Until the spirit that was in David that made him look at something that everybody was running from, comes into you, you will never be able to dare your own Goliath. That story remains just a story. I want us to look at some manifestations. If I had two hours today, I cannot exhaust what is on my mind, but I will just do everything I can within the little time left. God is my witness. This is such an important aspect of godly prosperity. If we want to be prospered, don't forget, every time we talk about prosperity, we talk about physical, we talk about spiritual, we talk about our soulish realm. So as a people of God, we must continue to engage with divine creativity. I want us to look at a few things in the life of Jacob, a bit of Joseph, 
and one or two other people in scripture, if time permits us, to just see how they engage. I mean, we can stay on the story of Jacob for the next three weeks. I can assure you that. One of the most intriguing. And again, you see, when, many times when you remember Jacob, what comes to people's mind is, ah, the cheat, the deceit, is, uh, you know, Marcel. That's those kind of things. You have to purge your mind. <laughs> you have to purge your mind. When they say David, ah, Bathsheba, always bad, bad things is what you remember. <laughs> that is a device of the devil to make you miss out on the real thing about the people. When they say Abraham, they say, ah, the liar. Everybody they say in scripture, all you remember is the things they did wrong, which God put there so that we can know that they are men just like us. Elijah who prayed and rain stopped and rain came, the Bible says he's a man of like passion like we are. In fact, the Bible documented when he ran away from a woman. Just for us to understand that if you find yourself running from whoever, you are not different. All you need to understand is that if you continue in the race, the same way Elijah eventually overcame, you will overcome as well in the name of Jesus. We read, Paramatthias led us earlier on in the Bible reading from Genesis chapter 30 from verse 25 to 43. It was a long passage. But it was about just how we can capture as much as possible the story of Jacob from a particular standpoint. Very interesting character in the Bible. And if those of you who have followed this series, you will see that we started from Abraham, the father of Isaac. And then last week we looked at Isaac himself, and who is the father of Jacob. And today we are looking at Jacob. This patriarchal study helps us to understand some of the things that God worked in the lives of these people even though there was a covenant of blessing upon them. So that we understand that it's not just about a covenant of blessing that we know about, but there are principles that came through their life. We saw that Abraham was just a man of obedience. God says move, and he moved. God says go, he goes, and all that kind of thing. And that worked for him, helped him to establish the the basis for that covenant. Isaac, last week we saw he was a hard worker, a man of the altar as well. Abraham, a man of the altar. Isaac, a man of the altar. And as we will see again today, Jacob, also a man of the altar. A man who had spiritual connections to God and was destined to be a a, a blessed patriarch of the heir of promise. So in Genesis chapter 30, the first thing I would like us to read, to know is that everyone who operates by divine creativity, as we will see in the life of Jacob and even Joseph, very briefly, were people who had evident blessings and favor. Like I said, these are the spiritual dimensions. When God puts upon you the grace to be creative, you will have evident blessings around you and you will have favor. What do I mean? Look at Genesis chapter 30, verse 27. This was Jacob in the house of Laban, a man he was serving. Laban said to him, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience, by the things I can see, that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. You are evidently carrying something that is making my house to prosper. That is evidence number one. We can see this also in the life of Joseph, his son. Genesis chapter 39 from verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. 39 verse 2, Genesis. And he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. I talked about Laban 
Laban was a master to his father, to, to Joseph's father, Jacob. Now, Joseph himself found himself in the house of another master, Potiphar. The Bible says, and his master, verse 3, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. The Lord noticed the grace for divine creativity upon the life. The, 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 the master, sorry, noticed the grace for divine creativity upon Joseph and everything was prospering in his hand. And verse 4, what did that do? So Joseph found favor in the sight of his master. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he, the master, made him what? An overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. When the grace for divine creativity is upon you, what happens is that God uses it to promote you. He makes your environment a fruitful place. When you are brought into a team, the dynamics of that team will change. I've seen it many times in my working life. In the year 1994, I went to start a work in, 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 with one of our foremost consulting firms at that point in time in my country. And the place was, it was a very well-established business. It was established in the, uh, since 1970. So at that point, it was about 24 years as a company, going strong, handling big projects for the country, even having international partnerships. But by the time I joined that firm in 1994, things were really on a downhill. There was one project that I was brought in to come and become a resident engineer on, and it did not pick up. It was, it was, it was just sort of everything about it hooked it. The moment God brought me there, within six months, that project was reactivated. Now, I'm just telling you my personal story. And like I always say, if you want to misinterpret it, good for you. But I'm just telling you what I experienced. In six months, the whole thing changed. They called us and they initiated the project. I was planning to get married. At that point, I did not have a car. I have not used a car. The first car they gave me as an official car, I, I pray for the people who gave it to me because I don't know whether I'm the, one, the car was riding me or was riding me. <laughs> but I received it with thanksgiving. It's this kind of car that when you are inside with your driver, you have to be listening to the engine, to the exhaust, because anything can drop off. <laughs> if you go and sleep, ah, that's your business. <laughs> you can't sleep till you get your destination. If you sleep, you will just find that you're in a mechanics workshop where you woke up. <laughs> so as we are going, I'll be listening. I called my driver. He's gone, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord now. I just heard he passed on last month. Great man. I said, Mustafa, is that our exhaust? <laughs> Mustafa will say, the thing is shaking. So I said, okay, drives, drives slowly, slowly. Now, don't speed again. <laughs> I'm the boss in the car, but I have to be listening. <laughs> but I was thankful. I used that car to go and greet my wife on the campus. She was just finishing her degree there. Even though we were planning to get married. So I go and greet her on the campus, joyfully. Six months later, July 1995, God changed everything. The project was signed off. We had three cars brought into the co company immediately. And I was given one brand new one. By the time I was going to get married six months later, from the same town that I left 12 months before, this was December 95, and I appeared with those cars and the buses and all our staff that came from the new post I was, it was like, David, we can't believe all this happened to you in 12 months. That's what God can do in the life of a man. And then God began to give me insight I saw that they were young people. I was about 27 that time, 26, 27, and our boss himself was not even up to 40. We were all young, so they were very rough. 
party every weekend. Party, 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 party. And I said, Lord, how can we change things here? So I started attending the church. And then I found one or two of them who were on the border. You know those ones. They, they still party, but they are ready to pray. I said, you, come. Come and be my friend. <laughs> I quickly hooked those ones. Then I started taking them to Bible study, midweek service. And gradually, gradually, by December 96, the whole church was following me. And people are listening across the world. You cannot be saying this kind of thing if you are lying. <laughs> because somebody will type and say it's not true. <laughs> By December 1996, everyone except the few Muslims that were there, they were all following me to church. Our boss became a deacon. <laughs> Hallelujah. You just carry that grace. You change everything. And God began to give me insights as to also become excellent at what I do to his glory. Let us not rest in tapping into divine creativity. Number two, Jacob showed us that he was a man of deep and unusual insights. A man who works by divine creativity will not just be having evidence and favor, but he will also be a man of very deep and unusual insights. Genesis chapter 30, let's go on his story there, verse 31. When he was about to leave, he wanted to leave Laban. He said, look, I've served you all these years. This was after about 14 years of serving him. And he's got his wife. He wanted two. He wanted one wife. He got two wives plus two other, I don't know what to call them. <laughs> because they gave birth to his children and they were supposed to be servants of the other wives. So in short, he got four wives. <laughs> let's just summarize the whole story. He got four wives. <laughs> Anyway, he decided, let me pack all this by wife. I came for only one, but here I am now. Four wives, 12 children, let us all be going. <laughs> Hallelujah. So he wanted to go. He went to Laban, his, uh, his, his boss. He said, and then Laban said, as Laban said to him, what shall I give you? When he said he wants to go. And Jacob, the man of unusual insight, the man of the altar, the man who was walking by divine creativity said, you shall give me, you shall not give me anything. You shall not give me anything. Remember his grandfather saying, you will not give me anything lest you say I made Abraham rich. You see the covenant at work. You see, remember the, 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 the son, the, his own father, Jacob's father, going from well to well, reopening the wells of the father that had been clogged up by the people and prospering in the land and sowing and prospering. Men of covenant and divine creativity never subject themselves to men. It's not arrogance. They never subject themselves to other men. They are never afraid of other men. They don't look at the hand of other men to survive. Because what they see is always beyond man. You can't threaten them with your money. You can't threaten them with your position. The man says, what shall I give you? What do you want to give me? Basically, what do you want to give me? A fellow man like me, you are talking as if you own the... When, when I am connected to Elohim. He said... You shall give me nothing. All I'm asking for, this is where his trickery <laughs> came to play now and all the things God has taught him. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flock. This is my who said he's going. But he said, no, I will stay because there was a revelation he had. If I go like this, I'm blessed, but I can get more. God has shown me how I can get more. I'm just putting the words in there for you to understand. He said, just let me feed them. Look at verse 32. 
He said, this is what I will do. I will pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages. Verse 33. He says, so my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. When the subject of my wages come before you, everyone that is not speckled, everyone that is not spotted and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. The man looked at it and said, this must be the most foolish person I've ever seen. Because it was very uncommon at that point to have them spotted and speckled. It was very uncommon. So Laban must have thought in his heart that this man is crazy. He's, I didn't even know he's this daft. No wonder he had to work for 14 years to, to marry four women. <laughs> he must have thought he got him. But what he didn't know is that Abraham, uh, Jacob had a dream. Later on, Jacob narrated his dream to his family in Genesis chapter 31. Very quickly, we'll look at it from verse 10. Genesis chapter 31, verse 10. The Bible says, I, I did ask for Genesis 31, verse 10. Now, he began to, when we are looking for that, Genesis 31, 10. <clears throat> the Bible says that he began to narrate his story to his children and to his wife. He began to say to all of them, he said, you know what? There was a time God showed me. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived. A time of mating of flocks. That I lifted my eyes and saw in what? A dream. I saw in a dream, talking about divine revelation. He said, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Verse 11. Verse 11. We're going to verse 13. They were streaked and gray-spotted. I saw in a dream. Verse 11. Thank you. Then the angel of God spoke to me in that dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. Verse 12. Verse 12. And he said, lift your eyes now and see. All the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked. I'm showing you that there can be an abundance of streaked animals. And speckled and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I have seen that you are being tormented by this, your master. I have seen that he wants to make you a slave forever. I have seen that you need me to help you to fulfill covenant. Look at what he said to him. Look at what God said to him in verse 13. Why? Why? Look at verse 13 very quickly. He said, I am the God of Bethel. When you have time, go and read Genesis 28 and see the God of Bethel. He said, I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. I am the God of Bethel where you made a vow to me. He said, now arise and get out of this land and return. Thank you very much. It's okay. It's okay. Hallelujah. He said, and return to the land of your family. He said, now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. I am the God of better. When you go back, read Genesis 28 again. The Bible says that he got to that place when he was going towards, uh, uh, when he was leaving Beersheba, and he was going back to Haran to get a wife. The Bible says he got to that place. It was the, the place, the name of the place was called Luz. But when he slept there, because it was night, he suddenly had a dream and he saw angels that were ascending and descending. And do you know that story on a ladder? 
And uh, he said, oh, surely God must be here. And I did not know it. So he took the stone and anointed it. We don't have time to go into those verses, but that is the story. He anointed the stone and then he changed the name of the place to Bethel, the place of God, the place where I encountered God, Bethel, El of God. He said, this place will no longer be called Luz, but it will be called Bethel. And then he vowed to God. He said, if you bless me and you cause this covenant to come to pass, I will serve you. That was the encounter God had with, Jacob had with God in Bethel. And he said, I am the God of that place where you anointed the pillar and where you made the vow. Please go back to verse 12. He said, I now have come. Verse 12, verse 12. He said, lift your eyes now and see. I'm giving you divine ideas that will make happen what I have covenanted with you at Bethel. He said, look at around you. There are many streets speckled, gray spotted. And that was when he learned about the popular and, the, and, the, and the, um, all the trees that he used to be able to get his deliverance. Let's go back to Genesis 30. Let's go back to Genesis 30, verse 37. See what he did in the context of that promise. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green. Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of almond and chestnut trees, peeled, peeled white strips in them and exposed the while which white the white which was in the rods he exposed it and the rods which he peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters these were flocks that did not have any sp- remember they have removed the ones with spots and everything now these were plain uh, ones that Laban did not know could rip- because Laban's understanding even though he was also a livestock uh, farmer even though he too knew a bit of animal husbandry his own thinking is that there is no way you can get spotted and, and striped from plain animals there's no way it can happen the other way around but not having it the way Jacob wanted to so he was very happy with that deal but he did not know that the man of Bethel hey the man of Bethel already had a revelation that they can happen and they can be. And then the deep side of that revelation began. That is why I said he is a man of deep and uncommon insights. There was no theory of animal husbandry that said so, but a direct download from heaven. Friends, we are the ones that limit God. I'm sure you hear this from me many times. How far do you want to go with him? How far? How far do you want to go with him? How far do you want to download from heaven? This man, a man like you and I, did something nobody had ever done, nobody had ever seen, because he heard from God. The Bible says, and the rods which he peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs, and when the flocks came to drink, they they should conceive when they came to drink. Verse 38. Verse 38. And the rods which he peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters. Go to verse 39. Sorry, 39. So the flocks, thank you. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth. The flocks brought forth. I said the frogs brought forth. Hallelujah. (laughs) Just by putting sticks in water troughs, by divine revelation, as they were drinking and mating and looking, they began to bring forth the streaked, the speckled, the spotted. May God baptize you afresh with divine creativity in the name of Jesus. May those things that have been looking so hard for people 
May they become easy for you as you hear from heaven in the name of Jesus. <laughs> so the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaks speckled and spotted. Verse 41. Let's keep the story. The Bible says in verse 41, and it came to pass wherever the stronger one and the livestock conceived that Jacob did what? <laughs> Place the rods. Jacob is a very smart guy. I like the man so much. He saw the first one. Say, God, thank you. You've given me the revelation. So he would just stand there. All his, all his work, <laughs> he used to be watching. Anytime they're about to just put the rods there. <laughs> you just quickly put the rods there and be whistling. That is my money coming. <laughs> money coming. Money coming. <laughs> Laban is there thinking that foolish man that I left in the jungle. He doesn't know what he's doing. Meanwhile, the man of insight, the man of Bethel. The Bible says, and it came to pass, wherever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. Verse 42. Verse 42. But when the flocks, verse 42 now, 42. But when the flocks were feeble, <laughs> he did not put them in. <laughs> I like the Bible. I don't know. I like the Bible because at times just reading it, I'll just be laughing. <laughs> The Bible, that's why I say to you, if you, whatever you want, if you want a serious thing, you can get it in the Bible. If you want to laugh, you can get it in the Bible. Anything you want to, even if you want to cry, believe me, when you read some stories, you just start crying. <laughs> Anything you want, you will get from the Word of God. When I read verses like this, I just start laughing. He said, but when the flocks were feeble, the man will hide all his rods. <laughs> he will put them. <laughs> they must not see this one, because that one is for Laban. Those sheep will go in there, they keep drinking there, drink the water. <laughs> so the feebler were laborers and the stronger Jacobs. Because he was a man of insight. <laughs> Somebody will look at it and say, Oh, he's cheating. No, he's not cheating. It's God's sense. They had a deal. They had an agreement. He's very well within the contract. <laughs> Verse 43. Verse 43. That's why if, if you are employed on a job and you finish your 5 o'clock job, you've done your work very well. If you go home at 7 and you start doing what I call private practice, those days we call it PP, and you start doing your private practice till midnight, you are not cheating anybody. You have serviced your contract. Miles Moreau will say, finish your job, then go and start your work. <laughs> you have finished your job, you go and start your work. When the thing is delivering to you the next day and you are doing holiday and you are buying things, all your mates... Who got home and we are watching Premiership till nine o'clock and watching East Ender and West Ender and Hawking or what do they call it <laughs> till midnight and Channel Four and they, they use the same hour to go and do that and sleep and you you were doing your work and producing and money is raining in your account left right and center every time they will say that man is cheating he didn't cheat anything <laughs> he used godly sense he's still within the contract. <laughs> Verse 43, wherever you are, wherever you are, shout verse 43 to the top of your voice again. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants and camels and donkey. Why? Because as the flocks were increasing, it gave him capacity to employ more people. Friends, let us not limit God. The same was evident in the life of Joseph, a man of deep insight. Genesis 30, 39, verse 23. 21 to 23, Genesis 29, that's it. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, right there in prison. 
<laughs> Verse 22, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand everything, all the prisoners who were in prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. This man became a, a, a prison guard, even though he was wearing uniform of prisoners, <laughs> like the other prisoners. <laughs> you, can, you, you can outbeat the devil. He could be looking at his prison uniform and say, I'm doomed, I'm finished. No, even inside prison uniform, he became a, 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 a <laughs> chief prisoner <laughs> because he was a man of deep and uncommon insight. And the man said, whatever you say here, that's what we go. And verse 23, verse 23, the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. That's powerful. Anything. Because the Lord was with him. Another man of the altar. The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord did what? Made it to prosper. The covenant on his father, his grandfather, his father, and his father working for him, even in prison. You may be in a prison situation of your life today. Something that looks as if it's going to end there. Why don't you trust the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You are coming out of that prison. But whilst you are there, enjoy it. Whilst you are there, reign in it. Whilst you are there, have dominion. Don't sit down there complaining every day. We never read Joseph saying, Oh, my life. I'm meant to be on the throne. I know. Oh, look at my life. That's what believers do. Lord, I came to this country. I used to be a doctor. Everybody knew me right to my village. When I drove my car those days and I, and I entered the community, all the children would come out and say, Uncle, oh, yo, yo. <laughs> Lord, look at my life now. I'm cleaning floors here. Don't worry. It's a prison. Remain a man of uncommon insight and watch God help you move from where you are to become that person he has showed you. Don't be complaining. Don't say, Lord, before I left my home country, if you have immigrated to this country, don't say, before I left my home country, you showed me that I was going to do this. I was going to be an employer of labor. I would do this and that. And I came with high hopes. I have many friends like that my age who had migrated 20, 30 years ago when it was very popular to, to move en masse to countries like Canada. Some of them were bank managers, store managers, heavy, big-time people in, 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 in industry back in our home country. They caught to those countries, some of them, Within five years, they couldn't find anything reasonable to do. They worked in staples and worked in, uh, in those IT shops, selling computers and selling, selling games, cleaning and doing things. Some of them today, 25 years later, I can tell you some of them today, 20, 25 years later, they are captains of industry in those countries. As many that waited it out, as many that tapped into uncommon insight, God will never leave you because God cannot break his word. He can't. Don't help him. Don't try to break it for him. What he has promised he will do, he will surely come to pass. I say it will surely come to pass in the name of Jesus. We saw him again before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream. And there was no one, Genesis 41, 15. And there was no one who, to, who can interpret it, but I have heard it. I said, but I have heard it that there, there is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand the dream to interpret it. That is to say, I have heard that you are a man of uncommon insight. This is bringing, talking to a prisoner, prime minister, uh, uh, king of a country, talking to a prisoner. Verse 16. Verse 16. I like what Joseph said. 
a man who understands that he is not the creator, but he is connected to the creator. And he accesses divine creativity from him. That is the kind of language that they have. They never see themselves as be all in all. They never see themselves as having attained anything, even though they have direct access to the one who knows everything. The Bible says, and you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. That's First John 2.20. You have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, it is not in me. It is not natural. It is not my capability. It is not what I can do. He said, God is the one who will give you an answer. I am only a vessel. Hallelujah. Verse 37 now. Let's go to verse 37. Straight down. And so the advice, when he told him the dream, you know the story, Pharaoh saw good cattle swallowing up bad cattle. Uh, sorry, bad cattle swallowing up good cattle. And then he saw ears of corn that were very flourishing and lush, swallowing up the lean ones. Seven, seven in each case. And Joseph said that means there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. But you know what? In the seven years of plenty, make sure you gather everything and prepare very well because that will help you to rule the world in the seven years of famine. Somebody say deep insight. Say deep and uncommon insights. Hallelujah. And in verse 38, the Bible says, And Pharaoh said to the servants, Can we find a person such as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is, a man who is operating by divine creativity? Verse 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In as much as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. <laughs> I can't find him. It's impossible to find such a person. Verse 40, The promotion came. The long-awaited dream came to pass by this one pronouncement of Pharaoh. He said, you shall be over my house. The very first phrase there liberated Joseph from 13 years of the pit to slavery to prison. You shall be over my house. The dream came to pass. Through uncommon insights, the dream came to pass. Through uncommon revelations, divine creativity, the dream came to pass in the physical. It's always been real. But when divine creativity manifested, <laughs> the dream came to pass. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you so that I don't become a redundant non-entity. <laughs> that is my own addition. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Hallelujah. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Verse 41. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See. Verse 41, please. See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Do you remember the dream? They came to bow down to him. The whole land. Your dream will come to pass. Your God-ordained dream will come to pass. Just continue to tap into divine creativity. Watch God give you deep insights and unusual insights in the name of Jesus. I would have closed this here, but I will quickly touch on the life of two people, very quickly, who also influenced me a lot, or influenced me a lot. One of them is a man called Noah. You have heard me talk about him so much, about this particular trait. A man 
who operates by divine creativity will be a man with capacity for innovation. This was what we learned from Noah's life. When we talk about innovation, we talk about doing the uncommon. <laughs> we talk about multitasking. We talk about project management. We talk about being able to harness resources and manage them in time because he was bound by time to deliver that ark. And he managed it in time and he harnessed all the resources and produced the ark. The Bible says, Genesis 6, we will start reading from verse 14, but if you go a little bit up in verse 8, the Bible says, and Noah found grace in the, in, the, in the sight of the Lord. That grace did not just mean God spared him from dying. That means he found a connection to divine creativity in the sight of the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 14, verse 14, it says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Verse 15 says, And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. And verse, verse 22, go to verse 22. Go to verse 22, please. Thank you. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. The capacity for innovation comes on you when you are a person that is accessing divine creativity. I have told you many times, think about it. God said, make it of gopher wood. Make it 50 cubits wide, 50 cubits long, 30 cubits wide, and so on. How do you understand cubits? How do you understand the different specifications? If not that the divine creativity and insight that God is giving to you is forming into you the capacity for innovation at the same time. These are deep spiritual mysteries and we must not let go of them. The final person I want to talk about is the man called Nehemiah. I can go on about Noah. You know very well because Noah happens to be a man who functioned in the area. I function today in the building industry and construction and all those things. There's a lot I learned from his story. Every time I read it, I'm inspired even professionally. Nehemiah chapter 2 was a man who God put a burden to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. The fourth thing I want us to realize, the first thing is what? We must be a person of, we will be a person of evidence and favor. Okay? Evidence and favor. Number two, you'll be a person of deep and unusual insights. Then number three, you'll be a person for, with capacity for innovation. That's Noah. A capacity for innovation. Finally, You'll be a person, I'm just choosing four things, there are so many things that can go into it, but four things is that as, as a person operating under divine creativity, you'll be a person who has capacity for leveraging partnerships. Partnerships. How to work with others to do much more than you could have ever done as an individual. This is one thing that is lacking so much in developing countries, and I particularly would like to single out African nations, and I will particularly... I like to come down to my own home country, Nigeria. The, 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 the lack of capacity to work with others and leverage each other's brains and strengths and pull it together to make a wider one is killing us. You meet a man, he, he, only one man is architect on the... You, you say, you are the architect on this project? He say, yes. He say, who is your engineer? He say, I'm the engineer as well. Ah, you are the engineer? He say, okay, who is your contract? I'm the contract. I only you. <laughs> one man. One man, he is architect, he is engineer, he is contractor, he is plumber, laborer. 
You will see him carrying the concrete again. He say, ah, I don't. I want to keep the. the I don't want people to cheat me. Foolish man. Foolish. Foolish. <laughs> if you want to be a person that will expand in whatever God has called you to do, you must know how to leverage the capacity for. You must know how to have capacity for leveraging partnerships. Nehemiah was told, one man was told, go and rebuild the walls for me. Or the burden was put in his heart to go and rebuild the wall. And he went there. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17. He said, then I said to them, he went and met the elders of the people in the land. You see the distress we are in? He brought in his own brethren. He said, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates burned with fire? Come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Let us partner together. You just be confident. Let's work together. Look at what he said in verse 18. So that they know that it is going to be done, but they need to put hands together. Verse 18. He said, and I told them the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and also on the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let's read together. Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to do this good work. Partnership. The wisdom for partnership. God has shown me so many times. As you see me like this, there is hardly any major profession in the world that they call a major profession that we can do business in that I don't know at least one person that I can work with. Because as I'm meeting you, if you are the first archaeologist I will meet in my life, I take your details, we are talking. That's all, you become my friend. Because tomorrow somebody can meet me and say, uh, Mr. David, are you able to do this archaeological survey for us? I say, yes, I can. <laughs> because I remember the man I met yesterday. It's not because I can do it. I say, no, 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 no. I remember the man I met yesterday. I say, I can. Don't worry. Just give me 24 hours. I'll get back to you. So I'll call my friend. There's business here. This is what they want to do. How much do you think? You see, that, that's very big business, you know. I say, that's good. My own commission is just 10%. <laughs> So bring me your proposal and let's do it together. Partnership. I'm telling you. But people will say, ah, if I tell him, he will go back and go and collect the thing. You know, foolish way of thinking. <laughs> and has robbed many, many nations and many peoples what they could do. We need to learn by divine creativity how to structure partnerships. In the year 2006, I was just planning to do some major work back in my home country. I've just bought a house here, so it was a bit of an involving time, spent money furnishing and things. And I was just saying, Lord, I need, I want to do something, I want to build something back home, and I, I just wanted to do it without having to send money from here. I had about 3,000 pounds. I mean, that can't do much. But I, I used it to start. They cleared the place for me, and they started. Just when I moved to start, one of the young men who... For, uh, uh, 13 years before that time, 1993, 13 years before 2006, he used to be the drummer in the choir I used to sing and lead worship. He was a young guy. He was just finishing secondary school or so at that time. And I was already a graduate, a lecturer. So there was a way we had a relationship. I'm just a few years older than him, but we had that kind of elder brother kind of person. He had respect for me, in short, relationship. Fine Christian man. He's a pastor today. He's probably hearing me or will be hearing this at some point. He called me and said, brother, he said, my company has just won a very big project. I was thinking to myself, what will be a big project? You know, maximum maybe half a million pounds or something. He said, it's 10 million pounds equivalent. I said, tell me more about it. 
Tell me more about it. Say we are we we have been awarded to rehabilitate one of the major ports in Nigeria. I said, are you bidding for it or you've got it? He said, we've got it. He said, we've got it. He said, our frame ranked highest and we were shocked when we got it. He said, because we promised that we will supply a foreign project manager. He said, but when we were making the promise, I had you in mind. I didn't have anybody else I knew. But I had you in mind that you have been in England, You at least you will know somebody. I said, I know many, many, don't worry. <laughs> I said, I know many. How many do you need? He said, well, one, don't worry. <laughs> so, but because it was so big, we needed a lot of indemnity and blah, blah, blah. To cut the long story short, I called another friend who was here, who is here, who is also in Nigeria, and I said, let's work together on this. It's going to be a lot of money involved. And I told my friend, I said, I will give you 45%, I'll take 55% of the monies that will come to our side. My friend was very shocked. He said, David, I've never seen this. I said, no, we are coming together. It's a partnership. I want it to be fair. To cut the long story short, I needed money to do the project at home. Every money, every commission as they were paying me, as the guy, the project manager we recruited as he was working at home, they were paying me commission for the work he is doing. They were buying me tickets to come and fly and, and wear hard hat and walk around the site because I'm the employer of their project manager. <laughs> and I'll be walking around and news people will come and say, how far we say we are the foreign company that... <laughs> Oh, this God, this God, he has a side and a sense of humor. I was sitting in my house in Bilstein when that man, when that young man called me. To cut the long story short, thousands and thousands of pounds released to make that building stress-free for me. And I've seen, I can't go into many things today, I've seen so many times like that, leveraging the power of partnership. Since that time I told him, even if you need an astronaut, just let me know. <laughs> I know how to get to NASA. I know I will get there. <laughs> I will find one for you. I'm sure of that. Let's pray and trust God for divine creativity. Father, in the name.